Hey gang, welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the show that brings you the men and women of track and field and explores their unique stories. The show is brought to you by Gill Athletics. Head on over to gillathletics.com to find all your track and field equipment needs. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill. In this episode, we feature episode three of the Athletics LLC with special guest Otto Bolden, Marissa Chu, Mouse Holloway, Charles Ryan, and Chris Huffins sit down with Otto and talk about fixing a broken system of track and field, a lot of hypotheticals, and real-world examples to use here. You're going to have a lot of fun with this one. So without further ado, please help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Athletics LLC, Episode 3. to Athletics LLC. I'm Big League Chu and we are joined tonight by the following gentlemen. We've got Clyde, we've got Lamar Sweetwater, Lucius, and our guest tonight is Otto Bolden. Awesome. Thank you gentlemen for joining us. I know. Where's my right? All of the all the sound effects. There you go. I hit all the buttons. Um, so let's just jump right in and just get things just rolling and crazy out of control. Um, right now, we're seeing that track is in a big transition. You know, we've got big deal stars leaving the sport. We've got drug scandals left and right popping up like candy canes. Um, and overall, we just lack an overall professionalism. Say you get to be track fairy, goddess, gods, things and you get to fix it, what do you do? Where do we start? <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, I feel the same way. That's, that's, you, that's, a, man. That's, that's why you- You know what, I'm, I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go in a direction that I never thought I would say, I would have said 12 months ago. I like ending the season at Worlds. And I know a lot of us, maybe some of you in this room um, won't admit to it. Mm-hmm. But last year, when we were either coaching or getting ready as fans for the Doha World Championships, we all felt like, man, this is too late. It's October. And what did we end up getting? Maybe the best worlds ever. And I Mm -hmm. thought to myself, you know what? Why not do it like every other sport? Your sport culminates with the World Championships. I know for the Olympics, it would not be possible because of NBC and, and, and football and all that. But I think that's a place we can start. If you're going to have worlds, um, can we have it late? Or can we have worlds as the last thing on our calendar? Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, I was in Doha, and I think I'm still t- tired from Doha, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the pandemic kind of saved me, I believe, from being exhausted by the end of this year. But, you know, I've been in those years also when the worlds are there, and then you got to get on a plane and go to a Zurich or go to Brussels and, you know, continue on. And from a mental standpoint for everybody involved, it just gets very draining. And I also think another thing that I believe that as far as the drug scandals, I mean, I, I think you're going to have those in sports no matter what. As long as, long as there's large amounts of money involved, there's going to be drug scandals because people want the money. And that's a way for some certain people to get them. 
And I also feel that if maybe there was a little bit more equal disp dis um, disbursement of the funds, then we might see a little bit less of that. That's, you know, that's where I sit with it anywhere. Uh, so you, I'm gonna interject real quick. For, for the distribution of funds, are you meaning like winning bags? I mean, I, I, any, any money, period, in track and field. I mean, everything goes to the stars. And the, as we talked about in our first show, like the developmental side of track and field is like, it's not existing almost because unless you can put up a big mark before you become quote unquote professional. And as we all know, like most of the people that claim the professional in track and field are just getting gear. Then. Or not know, even. Or not even. Yeah. So like, I think that the big issue you have there is like the, the rich get richer and the poor continue to be poor. So in order for the poor to become one of the rich, they, they cheat. Yeah. I've never actually understood why the world championships are not the end of the season, regardless of when it is on the calendar. I'm sure there's some kind of sponsorship issue or something like that going on, but I, I've never really understood the idea of a season's culmination is obviously the world championships. That's the most important thing on the calendar. You expect the athletes to get up for that and perform and then go to any other meet. It just doesn't seem like a logistical you know, practical thing to me. So Otto, I mean, you're, you sat on every side of this, you know, the athlete, the coach, the producer, NBC stuff. So, I mean, what, what is, why is that? Well, um, think for example, about who controls our sport. Who do you think controls the sport? The Europeans control the sport, whether or not we want to admit it. And uh, meets like Zurich and Brussels and so on, they're not going to move their dates. If you look at what happens with the calendar, their dates stay set. Everybody else moves around. They stay set. So mm -hmm. what, you would, in, what you would have to say is, okay, how would we do an Oregon World Championships in October or even September? It would have to be, you know, it would have to be relatively late. And again, some of those meets aren't moving their dates. So it would require some flexibility with people who are not used to being flexible at all. Yeah, you know, it require people doing what's best for the sport, not what's best for their pockets. But I think that speaks to kind of one, like the last part of that question is like, like the lack of professionalism, like because the athletes aren't united and because the meets are completely collusionary and because the shoe companies are all involved, like the tail always wags the dog in our sport, right? World championships should be like, okay, we start here and work backwards, not yes. Zurich, not any other meet. Right. And, and because no one has the power to wield all of all of the parties to say, hey, guess what, Zurich, you won't get any athletes if you don't move. Because no one can actually say that, Zurich says, well, we got the biggest meat. We make the most money. We do this and that. Like they, they, they have become major, major power brokers, but only because the athletes have never chosen to, to get together to wield their power. And and neither has World Athletics for that matter. I mean, yes, I'm so used to calling it IAAF, but, but in, in, under, in under any iteration, it has never wielded any real power. It just acquiesces to, you know, these pillar meets, and, and that's ridiculous. And, and I'll just say this one thing. Like, look, from a drug scandal standpoint, like if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm the commish, so to speak, let me start by saying this. I am obviously anti-drugs. Okay, I think we all get that. But we as a sport have done ourselves a huge disservice by being 
the FBI of, 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 of athletics doping. Because we have chosen, because we love our sport and, and we inside the sport are so pure, because we have chosen to pursue the purest of sport, we also we penalize ourselves in the court of public opinion. At the end of the day, Joe Fan ain't that bright. I'm not dissing him, it's just facts. Joe Fan says, Carl Lewis ran 985, uh, Maurice Gray ran 979, and uh, Bolt, uh, Jesus, Bolt ran 958. Like, what they want to see is somebody run 957. They don't really care if that person is drinking rocket fuel. Now, we do because we care about the purity of our sport. But, but you got to understand, pure sport and best entertainment don't really go together that great. So what, so what exactly are you implying? So are you implying if we, if that it's free for all? Yeah. And I like, guess what, what I'm implying is that I hope you're not saying that, I don't, first of all, because we're not doing a free-for-all. That's just not. No, definitely not. Because, because, because even then, if it's a free-for-all, the rich are going to be better because you're going to have the better drugs. So that's not equal in any playing field. No, I mean, yeah. I, I think we all understood what Chris was saying. I think from a purely, you know, entertainment side of it, we would all agree with that. But what's the point of that? Like, what, do, what well, are we the, supposed the to point do is, The point is really simple. That, like, what we have to understand is, if, look, if you want there to be more money in the sport, for one, there has to be a level of professionalism. But for two, we have to decide, like, how we're going to police this sport, like, and, and still be cognizant of what is required for money. Are we going to trick things up to get faster times? No. But you well, just got to change the public perception of what they expect when they go to a meet. Like, you can't have people you, go run Lamar, 985 people think it's slow. I don't mean to interrupt you, but let me interrupt you, okay? <laughs> The Please. first thing, <laughs> the first thing, okay, Otto, you've lived this. The 100 meters may be the dirtiest event in track and field. Uh-uh. You know, that, that, yeah. uh-uh. He said it might be. Okay. Said I, it I said might it might be. be. I, I, yes. I, I don't know because I'm not dirty, so I wouldn't know. But from what, from it's what dirty, I, don't get me wrong. <laughs> from what I've heard, the 100 and the shot put may be the dirtiest event in track and field. So, but anyway, Otto lived in that world where he lined up against people he knew were dirty. So, like, my question to you is, like, how did you battle that when you know you're going to align against a guy that you know is dirty and you know you're a nine eight guy you're a nine nine low guy and i'm gonna run my ass off excuse my language my butt off today and it's not gonna matter see that's what i want to hear like how do you go to the line and not because me i got a mouth i'm probably gonna say something so i probably it's probably a good thing i wasn't as good as you so. <laughs> um i i will i will only use the examples of of people who actually failed drug tests and admitted, right? right? So let's let's start with Dwayne Chambers. Let's go to Tim Montgomery and Kent Terrace, for example, right? And everybody here who knows who those guys are. Um, with Tim, we spent the first couple of years kind of looking at him and going, we know he's dirty and he's still not beating us. And then, of course, <laughs> he broke the world record. Um, with Dwayne Chambers, we felt like we're about this Dwayne. It wouldn't matter what Dwayne does; he's not gonna beat us. And, and Dwayne never beat me in anything that uh, that mattered. Um, with Kenteris, that one stung me because that whole thing took me out of my game. Like I, I have very bad memories of um, of Sydney 2000 because I felt like 
you know, I, I was dealing with Maurice in the 100, and, and Maurice was just better than everybody in, in, in that race. And then I got to the 200, and I felt like, okay, I can deal with Darren Campbell. But we were watching Ken Terrace, and we were just like, so I, I have to admit now, 20 years after the fact, that yes, that took me out of my game because I was like, man, on a good day, yes, but after dealing with, you know, the cold and, and all of that. So, yeah, it, it, I do sympathize. You know what I sympathize with the most? Somebody like Lashinda Demas. Lashinda Demas is going to get her gold medal sometime in the, in the, in the near future. But I remember her in that race that I called in 2012 when she lost to that Russian who we now know is a convicted doper. And it was like, she, she lost her moment in that time. And that's you can it. never get it back. She'll never get it back. And yeah, the, she'd have probably spent the money already, but <laughs> that moment that, you know, everybody right. in here trained and sacrificed and to have lost that moment, I think is so much bigger than anything else. But just to just get back to your point a little bit, uh, Coach Holloway, um, until we figure out how to make the money more balanced, one, increase it, and two, get the money more balanced, it's, it's always going to be us pretending to be professionals while being handcuffed because all the rules are amateur. I mean, we should be in 2020, forget what, what World Athletics wants or whatever, Everybody should have five, six different sponsors on their uniforms. I did NASCAR for a while for NBC, and I was just like, there isn't enough space on the car to fit all the sponsors. And I'm like, why can't we do that? You know why we can't do that? Because we have some rules back in, in Monaco that say that, nope, nope, that's, that's not allowed, and this, that, and the other. And the truth is, World Athletics is struggling to find sponsors. I remember when, um, when Adidas took off and when Samsung left. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll replace them. They really haven't. It's been like smoke and mirrors and scotch tape since then. So, it's, it's so, like, do, you, so do, you, do you think that, be, that that's part of the reason why they don't want the athletes going out after sponsors because it'll cut into the, their opportunity to get sponsors? Do you think that's part of the deal there? I think that's part of it. I think that he yeah. who controls the money controls the sport. So if well, all absolutely. of a sudden... I, uh, okay, so now we tie it back to what, uh, to what he was saying about, about uh, you know, meats that don't move and meats that know they have the power. Well, those meats have the power because you have to come there. You want the Diamond League money? You've got to show up to Zurich. You've got to show up to Brussels. What if I have a million dollars in the bank and now I got to go to Zurich or, uh, or Brussels mm -hmm. no more? And it's nothing against those meats. Those meats are fabulous. But I'm saying it's about time that we return the control of this sport to the athletes. I mean, I know a lot of us look at, you know, the NBA guys and we go, wow, you know, Anthony Davis is going to become a restricted free agent in another couple months and somebody's going to pay him $40 million a year. Now, Anthony Davis is a great athlete. Is he better than Mike Norman? You know, is he better than the best that we have to offer? The, um, uh, the little Muhammad? You know, the Tiana Bartoletta? Mm -hmm. I don't know that. But why the disparity? And, and, and people love our sport. I meet people all over the world. They love our sport, but it's run like, you know, like a, like a kindergarten. Like you said, like an amateur organization. And, you know, this just speaks to even what Chris said earlier. Like even the NFL finally figured out that the, their all-star game shouldn't be, before, shouldn't be after the Super Bowl, right? right? They finally figured it out, Yeah. you know? And so 
like I said, when you want your grand show to be your grand show, it needs to be the grand show. And everything needs to stop after that and, you know, proceed. I, I, so, Otto, to, to that, to that, that point. While, while I think of, while I have it on my mind, I want to, I want to get this out. I got you. We are getting ready for a bloodbath in this sport. Why? Because all of these shoe companies are looking at what this global pandemic is doing to their bottom line. And I have it under very good authority that nobody is getting any new contracts and anybody whose contract is about to expire, forget about it. Yep. I'm not saying that because it's hearsay. I'm saying that because it was said to me. And I'm like, okay, if the shoe company money is kind of propping up the sport anyway, what happens when that shoe money that shoe company money disappears? Yeah. It's gonna be I mean, a scary time, man. So it's about to be so 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 to so to all of those points, right? My my issue is okay, these were these problems were still existing when you were part of the group that dominated track and field, when it was HSI running everything, these problems were still a thing. Do you see it differently now, all the years removed? Because your generation didn't come together as athletes and grab it together. The generation that followed you didn't do it. The current generation isn't doing it. Why are these generations of athletes so, why can nobody figure this out? Like, why is no one learning the lessons of history? It's like saying you want world peace. Everybody says, yes, we want world peace and let's all hold hands. Remember, I think it was JD that, that tried to start some sort of athletes alliance at the time, kind of like what Christian Taylor is doing now. And I remember we were like, right, so we're not going to go. I think Zurich was the meet. We were like, yeah, nobody's going to go to Zurich. And we went home and everybody went to Zurich. It's yeah. like, because it is literally crabs in a barrel, it's hard to tell those crabs on the bottom, hey, look, the top crabs have left. Don't you go peeking out that barrel. I mean, it's, it's people got it. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing here, if we're going to be honest, we've all been in track and field for a while. Track and field people in track and field are selfish. Yes. They could give a crap what anybody else gets. But they have to be. Exactly. They're right. And so because of their selfishness, there's no way this is ever going to be a cohesiveness. I go back to, I think it was Daryl Robinson years ago. That, there's, you know, there's a blast from the past. You know, the, yeah, you know he, he tried to do something. He tried to get things going. You know? But like I said, because of the selfishness, because of the fact that, like, out of said people got to eat, people, there's no way people are just not going to go. Not currently what's going on. I just don't see it. But, but that's, but, but I think like the, the cure, the cure to this is, is more acquiescence from all the stakeholders. Like the folks who are, are trying to, trying to go out and get money for world athletics, the Sebco's of the world, as well as the, the elite level athletes and the people in, in, in the media and the shoe companies, they all need to be all need to be in the same room and have a real discussion about how we move the entire table forward. Because right now it's just crumbs that fall off the table. So nobody's got enough money to actually make the move that is necessary to move the sport forward. Like the athletes can't. All right, well, we're not going. They don't make enough money. Like you can strike in football because everybody's a millionaire. Right. And if you're not a millionaire, there's somebody on your team that makes enough money that they will help make you whole until this strike ends. You know, like my, my son's a baseball player. There, there have been several professional baseball players, I mean, major league baseball players that have been donating money, like pandemic money 
to minor league players because they know they don't make no money, right? right? So, but right. because there is enough money in the sport to make this sport go forward, but we're all fighting over small pieces of it as opposed to everybody sitting at the same table and saying, how do we grow the overall pot of money? And Chris, I mean, I'm sorry, Lamar, I think the biggest you have is getting to the table. How do you get a seat at the table? Because the people that get the seat at the table, going again back to the substance of this sport, are not, they don't care about anybody else. They're, they want to get to the table. You know, it's like, you know, I, I grew up in a, you know, there was a lot of us, but between my cousins, everybody, we used to always go to my grandmother's house, right? When it came time to eat, you got to the table. If my brother didn't get to, that's his problem, right? I'm going to take care of me. Because there's like 12 of us, all of us grandkids trying to get to the table to eat. So when I got to the table, I'm taking care of me. And that's what happens in track and field. The problem, and it happens all the time. The problem, yeah. too, is that, yeah, you get to that table, but everybody has a different agenda. And I've been in some of those meetings where mm -hmm. you sit down with broadcaster, federation, athlete representative, and it's, I mean, one's going north, one's going east, one's going south. It's like, <laughs> those, those directions are never going to converge. No. So, it's a, as, you said, as you said, we have to sit, we have to sit down, yes, but then it has, you have to sit down with everybody wanting to acquiesce a little bit and say, you know what, I am willing to give up this. So for the IWF and NASA, we're going to make Worlds the last thing, even if Worlds is mid-August. Everybody fall in line, maybe we're going to start with Doha and all those other meets. From, I mean, we're going to kind of start it this year, right, with it, like from early April. From early April, the schedule's on. And we're not taking this stupid break for Worlds or whatever. Worlds will end the season. Okay, athletes, what you got to say? Well, we don't really have a problem with that, blah, 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 blah. Uh, network, what do you have to say? Well, um, mm, okay, when you start getting people hurting in the same direction, then we'll make some progress, not before. Do, but do, do any of us feel today that the athletes have a legitimate seat at the table? No. 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 And, so, and so how do they get the, the, key is, the key to them having the seat is <clears throat> they have to be unified because they can't all come. That's the whole point is that they have to be unified so that one person or two or three can go and represent all of the athletes as a constituency. Right. And so I again, talk to Otto's point, that would be, look, there's, there's a meeting at that table that has to happen. Right. Right. right? That, that meeting right. has to happen. And, 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 that, and say, that is I'm the biggest this, problem right there. I'm gonna say this and jump and, and, and jump out the way and let and let you argue about this. What what I would say if I could get on a on Zoom call with the constituencies, I would say this: if you don't figure figure it out, we're gonna come to the table and there's not gonna be a seat because the UFC is taking more money because every other professional sport is continuing to take more money and there is there's an end. There's a finite amount of money. There's a finite amount of, amount of airtime. And if we don't pay attention, we will just get pushed off the screen. Totally. I'm going to disagree with you. And I knew you knew I was going to disagree with you. That's why I said and that. Because, you know, there's just a simple, like, numbers don't lie. And the two most watched sports at the Olympic Games are track and field and swimming. Mm -hmm. And so track and field. Well, I mean. The nastiness. Yeah, gymnastics, okay. But, you know, we're popular. That's, that's in the summer. Well, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's a trivia question, NBC. What do you guys think is the most watched sport, winter and summer Olympics? 
Winter Bob, and Summer Olympics? Bobsled. Most watched sports, not bobsled. Soccer. Nope, not even close. Ice dancing. Okay, I'm done. I will Captive audience, okay. yeah. So everybody, oh yeah, it's track and field. We listen, obviously, track and field and swimming and gymnastics. Um, we right. dominate. We, well, we anchor the the Summer Olympics because exactly that's, that was my point. We anchor it. We get it to carry home. So track and field, we killed the last week. But yeah, ice dancing murders everybody. Just okay. Big, big, it's time for you to step in now. We, we're, we're, the ice dancing, we're, okay, we're yeah, we can't, we can't follow that one up, but I will anyways. Okay. <laughs> um, so speaking to a little bit of what uh, Clyde had alluded to, so with this next question does have a little more personal touch to you, Otto, is, you know, with the success that you were able to experience and achieve within San Mar Santa Monica Track Club and HSI, you know, how, why can't we get back to that level of consistent dominance, um, consistent just leader, like lead by example and being out in front um, by just a simple entity, a group, or even just as a country as a whole? Why can't we do that? Why aren't we doing that? How do we do that, I guess? Um, um, you, you know, somebody mentioned, uh, um, Clyde mentioned HSI and Everything I, every time I think about HSI and why an HSI doesn't exist now, I think about the fact that there was an A circuit, yes, but there was a B circuit and a C circuit and almost a D circuit, which does not exist anymore. So my first race in Europe was like some B race in the back of Italy somewhere. I, I made my bones and got comfortable with the weather and the time changes and all that. And then I got brought up to the, to the major league, so to speak, right? You don't really have a minor league circuit anymore. So what that means is you have a lot of great talents that come up. They can't hit my major league pitching. They strike out and they're gone. And that doesn't do our, that doesn't do our, our, uh, our sport um, and any, any favors. But to answer your question, um, the athlete has changed. And I know that, that, that coach can speak to this. Athletes don't want to train this big mega group anymore. At least that's, that's my understanding. Um, HSI was what it was because you had the competition in-house. And if you were the best in HSI, you were the, the best, best in the world, right? Certainly in the, in the 100 and the 200 back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, I think the last club that maybe did that was probably um, Racers and MVP. I mean, well, MVP is still doing it with Elaine um, Thompson and Shelly and Fraser Price. But if you look at the people that won the last world championships, they're almost loners. 100 was who? Christian Coleman, pretty much by himself. 200 was Noah Last. He's in a group, but he's kind of the star of that group. And I don't know who the second best person is in that group, but they're not. I'm, I'm going to speak to that situation. Here, not so that I'm close to Noah. I'm speak right? Gardner is in a group. Uh, Stephen Gardner from the Bahamas won the 400. He's kind of in a group off by himself. So I think the athlete has changed. I don't know if we're going to see that kind of super group like we did with Santa Monica and HSI anymore. Yeah. So I, I, this is kind of my thought on that. I agree with you, but there are some athletes that don't mind training. Um, I think part of the problem is when you talk about Santa Monica Track Club and you talk about HSI, I think you have to go to the top of those two, two clubs. And Tom Telez and John Smith are probably two of the greatest uh, coaches out there. 
And when you saw the people that went to those clubs, people got better. You know, Lamar and I talked about this earlier. There was a guy, I'm not going to call his name, I don't want to embarrass his college coach or anything, but like the guy was a 10-28 guy. He went to HSI and ran 9-9, you know. Hmm. Um, you know what I'm talking about. See, the behavior stuff. Okay, so my head. So that's like So, but see, I just don't think that the development is, is going on. I know the C and B and D and races count, but there's also got to be some accountability for the coaching side of it. I think that there's these big super groups out there that have 15 and 20 people, and one or two or three people are doing well, and that's my issue. Like, you know, if you're going to this group why aren't you getting better? You know, because, you know, I, I look, you know, I, I had to deal with you, with you guys. And I would tell my guys, we're going to meet HSIs that we better be damn ready. Right. And not just for you and not just for Marie's for everybody. And I think that's the difference. I, I don't see the development of the, you know, we got a lot of young talent. You know, I, I was, I went through like Lamar and I talked about this last week. So I, you know, I started digging into stuff. There's a lot of guys that have come out of the NCAA system when you can't, make the NCAA final by 10-08. If you run 10-08, you can't make the final. Where are all those people? Where are they? You know, if you've got a, you're an NCAA meeting, you can, you, it's like four years in a row this has happened. Where are those guys? They go to these super camps and they disappear. Do you think that a part of the, that reasoning is because at the end of the day, the coaches are getting paid regardless? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see, but uh, look, I, I'll, I'll, call, I'll call BS on that because, look, like, look, let's just go backwards to the, what we were just talking about. It ain't like John wasn't going to get paid if I don't even run fast. I mean, John was going to get paid. So, I, so I, I don't think that that's the issue. I do think the issue does stem back to some of the, some of the athletes for sure and, and just a lack of overall competitiveness. I mean, I was blessed enough to be a, uh, a guest appearance at some of some of the HSI practices just because I had to use that track while I was down in LA right. and and so I saw some of those training sessions and I'll just tell you this it, it, it was definitely not any more competitive at a world championship final than it was on a Tuesday sprint day where they were doing <laughs> where they were doing uh 20s out the blocks yeah. yeah like I was there and watched the practice was over and I watched a 45 minute almost fight between the quarter mile group and the four and the and the sprint group Very talking good. about a hey, everybody put up 10 grand and we go race in the four by two at Mount Sac. You remember that Otto? Yeah. Right? See, it's it's not like now where everybody films everything and and God knows that so I don't I don't need to see my life in, in pictures and videos. <laughs> but some of the stuff that we did in practice and how competitive that group was, and of course now everybody's watching the last dance with, with Jordan and and they're like, man, you know, and I'm like, that's the way it has to be if you yes. want that level of results. It has to be almost to blows and everybody got that, you know, a chip on each shoulder. I, that, like to me, that's what made that group tick. And that's not to take anything away from John who obviously knows his stuff and, and now has a, 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 a really nice tree like, like you do, Lucius. Um, in terms of everybody who from who who went who was under that system now is doing very well kind of in their own thing, but man, that that group was competitive. No, that that's that, the thing. That's, that was the that's single wins championships. Competitive that, nature wins championships. 
you can't have that. Like I can tell you this. But now they play that down. Now you, now you gotta be nice to your training. No, 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 no. Because see, I can tell you like that. Not in Gainesville. We, and I, I'm not like I don't like. Don't get me wrong. Everybody, the nice guy has a place in life and everything in life. But you know, I got in trouble when I was in high school because a reporter asked me, "Why are you so competitive?" I'm like, "It's just who I am." If my mother steps out here, she's going to get it like everybody else. Right. A little bit over the top. I got home, I got in trouble. But I agree. <laughs> not over the top. <laughs> but, that, but that's who I am. can get the hands. Like, exactly. Right. You know? And so, and I think that's see, the that, problem. That was the single greatest education I had in this sport. That was, that was the single greatest education I had in the sport. I was lucky enough to be recruited by John Smith to go to UCLA as a freshman. Mm -hmm. And I just mm -hmm. so happened to mess up my leg. So I ended up training with the HSI crew for the first year and a half that I was at UCLA. And I was around mm -hmm. them every day. And John was amazing. And I learned a lot from John. But I learned more just learning how to fight and, you know, live amongst, amongst this group of people that I couldn't run with at that time. But please believe I ran my mouth to Larry Wade every day like I didn't care. Which one do you <laughs> think is going to make do. you a better? Which one is going to make you a better swimmer? Me throwing you in the North Atlantic? Or you having, uh, you know, lot, lots of lots of swim, lots of swim instruction in a classroom. Because I know which one, I know which one, you know, works for me. That's survival right. mode. Baptism by fire. Survival mode. I, I I always know when we're ready to when we're ready to run, because I have to break up an altercation in practice. In 2016, after we were we were awful at the conference meet, and we had a team meeting. And then they had an individual meeting and every day somebody was getting in somebody's face. And the week of the regional meet, after the regional meet, somebody's like, coach, come get them. And my two 400 herders were this far from each other. And I, I took my time getting over there. I, want, I, wanted, you know, I, I wanted them to get at each other because that's the stuff that wins championships. The, you know, not, I don't want them fighting each other, but I want them fighting to be the best guy. So I just don't, I don't, it's not that I don't see it anymore. It's just that I don't, like me, I went to UCLA because I saw what had happened at UCLA and I went, oh, I go to UCLA and become an NCAA champion. There's my Olympic medal right there. I don't know if today's athlete has that sense of one, history, um, and two, has that sense of, I, it would be easier for me to get it done in a group. I would not have done what I did, I don't think, without being in that group. And, but I knew that. Mm -hmm. I knew that. I, I don't know if today's athlete has a sense of, yes, that's the way to do it. They feel like, yeah. ah, I could do it on my own. I could be in a group. Either way, I'm going to get it done. Look, I'm going to tell you the what the group is. They, want the, they just want the money. That's all they want. You know, and we fight that all the time because as soon as they cross the line and they run a fast time, I need to get an agent. You ran fast one time, you know, and then if they get an agent and they get the money, then it's like, because they get, they're giving away these big contracts now, you know, like what's that motivation for the child to run after that? You know, I'm sorry, Lamar, go ahead. I, I just think I, we'll take, we'll take Otto's situation. Look, in, in 2020, the, the representative, like whoever is Otto now, he leaves because he went to UCLA and John was his coach. So then he brings in this new guy and he's challenging him in practice and now he's beating him some days, most days, whatever, in practice, and they're going to meets, and he's running fast as he ever can, but he can't beat the guy that he trains with every day, right? In today's world, that dude leaves. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, in yeah. 2020, for sure, like, the Otto Bolden guy leaves. Like, you know, I, I'm not staying here to train because I can't even win, I can't even win in training. Yeah, so, when, when in truth and in fact, you know, HSI was, what, one, two, three at the Olympic trials in 2000? 
you know. Rub it in, Rob. Rub it in, Otto. Rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if if Curtis Johnson runs better, we have four of the eight lanes in the in in the final. It is so Olympic right. Something to be said for look. Maybe you ain't Batman, but but and it goes back right back to the economics. Maybe you're not Batman. You're not Maurice making you know good seven figures a year. But shoot, you could have been the fifth best person at HSI and been clearing five, six hundred grand. I don't know if that's the case anymore. So, so do you think a part of it? Let me let me ask let me ask you this, Otto, to to that point, because you you on top of all the other things you're currently doing, you 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 delve into the coaching side of this as well, and you've had a group out there. How do those dynamics play out on your side of coaching? Because you've primarily been successful with really young kids who have turned pro. Um, I don't fight fairly <laughs> because I know this sport from every angle. Uh, I think, and, and because I have um, Emmanuel Hudson to, to kind of rein me in and to make, cause I'm always going to make a decision here and he has taught me how to make the decision here. Um, I feel like my athletes are always going to have throwback kind of mentality because I see a lot of kids, you know, fall in love with the shoe companies as, uh, as coach said, you run one fast time and you feel like ah, agent and I'm out. And to me, everything has to be so much more calculated now because there's so much money. Right. I mean, just, just, just with, just with Brianna, I was like, I don't know how they would have dealt with me if the kind of money that you guys are getting offered now was available to me when I was your age. Mm -hmm. There's a kid who went to school, who his mother basically talked him out of going pro um, last year. I know he's probably crying now. The, the offer was north of a million dollars. He was going to come out and basically his mother said, you ain't got the maturity to handle that kind of money. Go to school for a year. That's going to end up being the world's worst decision. But my point is that because the money is there, there's more temptation, but because the money's so big, I think you almost have to, as we say in Trinidad, measure twice and cut once. And for mm -hmm. us, it's like measure three, four, five, six, seven times. And you make sure that that contract is so perfect. And it don't matter what you do. So then let me ask the panel, is it then the lack of, I don't know if educated is the right word, but educated guidance? Absolutely. I, I, I definitely think it's a lack of educated guidance from, from every level, right? The kids don't know what they're talking about. Their parents 90% of the time have no idea how, the, how any of this works. And most of the people in the quote unquote professional side of it are out for themselves because the agents make 90% of their money off the original deal that they signed with these people. And after that, I mean, you're travel agents. Yeah. So, yep. you know, everybody's in it for themselves. And so there's definitely a lack of, you know, professional guidance, but yeah. you know, yeah. there's a to it. So what about then, you know, you spoke, you all spoke of the athletes wanting to clot the money and staying at the top of the barrel and whatnot. Do you think the coaches are able to put the, their pride aside, their six figures aside to say, hey, you don't need to train with my group and start to create a quote unquote HSI environment 
and building well, the first it. problem you have big league is who's making six figures i have no clue i'm just saying to, like, like, like there, may, there may be there may be four or five guys in the country maybe doing that mm-hmm. and so so i think that the first issue i have is so then you're telling me those four or five people are the only people in this country that can coach so that's where you're going to send all your athletes you know we have thousands of athletes who need to be taken care of mm-hmm. and we're trying to entrust them to four or five people and I, I think that's your, that's your first issue. And, and I think the other issue is they, they, they give the college coach no credit. We don't know what we're doing. No. You know, I, I was told once, well, you know, no. I think my son or daughter needs a professional coach. I'm like, well, what am I? Track and field is my profession. I'm a professional coach. That's what I do for a living. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. I think the most, the most disrespectful part about the current, current situation that you guys have discussed as it exists is the vast majority of those few coaches – they don't understand they, – they haven't been in the sport long enough to understand the, the hierarchy and the history of the sport as well as the people on this panel do. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what people got to understand is, like, John Smith didn't – he wasn't anointed as the, as the guy that Nike's going to pay. Like, he beat everybody. You know what I mean? Like, we, we got to give him credit. Like, he earned that. Mm-hmm. And, and now what's happened is, like, you, there's, there's these coaches who have been anointed as, like, you're the medal maker – so we take all these athletes from these coaches and we send them to the medal maker. But A, you made medals once with a super freak. Mm-hmm. B, you don't know how systemically medals are made. C, you are in it for you. you are, it is not a partnership with the athlete, which I know this much. Like I'm only 50, but in my time in this sport, the only people who have been successful or ones that had like o- over a long term, but ones who had partnerships with the a- with their as an athlete with their coach, right? Mm-hmm. They they had this survey that came out. I don't know if you remember this Otto. They had this survey they, they put out in Sydney was like the average number of coaches that Olympic medalists have had, and it was like one point two. One point two or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I remember so that. What does that, well, tell yeah. it, that tell you? That tells you you're with your guy exactly. or your girl. You need to stay your butt right there with your guy yeah. or your girl. Right, yeah. but you keep bouncing to the suit. You, you, the shoe company tells you got to go to the super coach. Look, man, See, and, 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 and Lamar, you know I've had these discussions. You know, I I I, I love it. You know, like when they come to me, I'm going to move your guy to a professional coach. I just say, let me know when you want to send him back, because you have because they never pick up the phone and say, how'd you do it? They never pick up the phone and go, they, you know, I was somebody once said, well, if Karan Clement moves to another coach, he's going to break the world record. No, because you have no clue. <laughs> no clue, no clue, what? and that and that I think that's. Oh no, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. I know that was said. That, that is that, that. Oh, that was said. Well, you guys have been coaching a lot longer than I have, so I can imagine what you go through. But I, but it's funny because some of the elements that I'm hearing coming from from these <laughs> from these different windows. I'm like, wait a minute, I hear it all the time. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, let's be let's let's take let's take let's take Miss Brianna Williams. Do you understand how that whole thing played? It's like the Jamaicans believe, and as they should, that they have the greatest high school system in the world, right? Because of their history and their, and their small numbers and so on. When she started to do what she did to all the Jamaican records, it was like, because now all of a sudden that narrative had to be questioned. It's like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. If this is the greatest high school system in, in the world, how come the Yankee has all the with with the Trini coach? <gasps> <laughs> all the records. 
and, 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 and some of the stuff that you're, you're saying is the stuff that I started to hear. It's like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, she'd do a lot better if she had a Jamaican coach. And I was like, wow. <laughs> that is always that the narrative. But I think I've done pretty well scoring at 1094. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know, she'd run 1084 if she was in Jamaica. Yeah. I was like, wow. But if that's the case, where is a 1080 Jamaican high schooler then? Exactly. And that, and that oh, was my funny. thing when the people were saying, well, if Quran had a professional coach, <clears throat> he'd run 46. First of all, I am a professional coach. Second of all, we're. Oh, no. Seven kid out of high school. So I get him from 49.7 to 47.2, and now you think, oh, I can fix the rest of it. Okay. That's the crazy thing. Like, yeah, yeah. And, I, and being here in Florida, I've watched what you've done with Brianna. No, they have no clue. Yeah, because it's like, wait a minute. Brianna didn't st- – you know how long Brianna's been under my tutelage? Even when I wasn't, like, coaching her, coaching her. 10, 11 years old, we have video of her learning the drive phase when she's, like, 10 years old, not knowing what the hell she's doing. So it's, it's – it's, <laughs> I can't imagine what that feels like for you guys when you identify, develop, get somebody to the level that you do, and then somebody goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know. In other words, like, you bake the cake 99%, and somebody's like, you know what? I got some frosting for that cake. That would be the best cake ever. I got all this frosting right here. Is, yeah. is, that, is that accurate? That's all right. Mm-hmm. That, that's extremely accurate. That, that's and extremely I, accurate. I, I, find it, I find it funny. I just laughed. People, people I thought it funny now anything I was about 50. If, I, if this would have been me at like 25, 30, I'd have been cussing everybody out. Was, <laughs> yeah. Yes, you would have. <laughs> it's hard to resist not doing that. It's yeah. hard to resist uh, not going off. Yeah, it is. It's hard. Well, now that we've got your blood boiling and your blood pressure's all up, we're going to go ahead and let you have dinner. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. A lot of fun. No, to thank, you. thank you so thank much. Thank you for joining awesome. us. It's been a pleasure. We'll come back and join us again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. Right. Thanks, thank Arthur. All right. Well, whew. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little hot. Um, so to try to calm yourselves a little bit, not to light a, a little more fire, but let's direct the flames. Um, we're going to come back to the NCAA and call it recruiting in general of the collegiate levels. Um, that's not necessarily going to be cooler. I know, right? I thought about that. I was like, eh, maybe that's a little <laughs> gasoline. We'll just throw that out there. Um, you know, just in our panel alone, we've we've had a lot of recruiting successes. You know, individually, you all have had names that you know have, you've built and created and maintained, if not gotten better, definitely. Um, what are your keys to that successful recruiting? You know, what are, what's the foundation and what are the things, what are you doing to make sure that you get that quality prime meat, that 2% every time? We, we, should, we should let the king go first on that one. No doubt. Well, I'm going to tell you the first mistake people make is they recruit off the list. They don't get out and see them. They don't go talk to the people around them. They don't ask the questions that are pertinent as to whether they can compete at the level that you need them to compete at. They don't go watch them compete to see if they're going to give up or they're going to quit when the pressure's on them, you know. Um, you know, we've had situations here where there's a guy that's the best guy in his state, the one of the best guys in the country, and he comes here and he's the fourth best guy in his dorm room. And, you know, you have to ask the question. You have to know whether they can handle that, and everybody can, you know. So I think the first thing when it comes to recruiting that it's not just about a skill set in terms of physical ability, you know, 
Can they handle your training system? Can they handle what's going on around them? Can they handle being away from home from mom and dad? You know, you're going to get the guy or the girl that wants to come and be a wild child all of a sudden, you know, that kind of thing. I think the other thing too is, you know, can they handle me? You know, and, you know, because I'm a very demanding coach. And I think the other, probably one of the biggest things for me as well is too many times people recruit kids that they don't have the skill set to take care of. Mm. Okay. And that, that's big for me and my staff. You know, I'm not going to call people out, but I will tell them that's not your skill set. We're not recruiting that athlete. We're not doing that. We're not going to do that to the athlete because that we have not proven that we can be successful in those events. So until you prove me that you can coach that event, we're not doing that. You know? So that my thing is, as I want, and nobody bats a thousand. It's just, just not, you know, but we're, we know if, if, if our um, success level was a batting average, we, I think we'd make the Hall of Fame. We'd be up there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to I say just from a recruiting perspective, I think the first thing that's the most important is, is the coach and the program that are recruiting. They have to have a sense of a real live sense of self. Because if you don't know who you are, like you're just adding ingredients to a cake that like you could be putting paprika in there. So like, you got to know exactly who you are, what kind of chef you are and what kind of cake or, or pie or whatever it is, what you're trying to make. And then you got to go get people that fit that. Right. You can't, it's not, it, this isn't a sport where you can just go get the best people because some of the best people were the best people in that time and in that place where they did that, but they won't be when they get to your campus. And to be honest, some of the people who are the best people are only the best when they are the best. Mm-hmm. Their, their psyches are like a house of cards. And to, to, uh, to Lucia's point, like sometimes we, we call it, you know, in my, in my group, we've always called it Queen Bee Syndrome. And you get, you get a, a, a male or female, because it's not, it's, it's not a gender thing. You get a male or female who's always been the best and always had the lion's share of attention. And now they get into some place where it's competitive for shine, for attention, for any of those things. And they don't know how to compete. And, you know, to that end, about like, if you come to, to, to a situation where you're going to be trained by me, like, if you can't compete, if you're not a competitive person, you won't last a week. You won't last a week. And so, you know, it, I'll say for, from, from my perspective, I think when, when you're recruiting, you have to know who you are. You know, like Lucia said, like, can they handle you? Like, if they're not your type of person, it doesn't matter what they've done before you got them. They won't be what you want them or need them to be. Yeah. And you got like, to have the stones to look at a, you know, a 1055 guy and see that in two years, he will be better in your hands than the current 1035 guy because what the 1055 guy has is your specialty and together y'all will get to 10 but the 1035 guy is softer than baby shit excuse my language and he can't be coached the way you coach right and 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 it won't get there and that's a real thing and I, and and you know that I, I concur with Lucius, like recruiting off the list and just recruiting off times, like that's insanity. Yeah. I, I would co-sign everything that's been said thus far um, to directly answer the question. I think the successes that I've had in recruiting and to this point in my career, my experience is totally different than my colleagues here. Like this is my first endeavor into the P5 world. I've spent my time at 
small division one schools, mid majors and division two. And try and I've I've gotten some high level recruits at those places. I mean, I, I recruited a kid to a division two school who was the Texas state champion in the hundred meter dash, five A. Okay. And everybody was like, how did you pull that off? Well, for me, the way that I've been successful with that is honestly, I'm just being myself. Like I, I've never been intimidated by the list. I've never been one that says, Oh, we can't go get that kid. I want to talk to everybody and I want to do exactly what Lucius is talking about. I need to talk to the best of the best people. And then I need to figure out, do these people fit with me? Because I'm not exactly, you know, a right match for every single kid just because they're fast. That doesn't make any sense to me. The kid themselves may not be a right fit for the program that we're trying to run, for the, for the boss that I may have, for the university that I may be working towards. Everything has its own little niche. And the thing that I've been told by parents, by athletes over the years that they appreciate about me in recruiting is that I tell them what they need to know, not necessarily what they want to hear. I busted a lot of bubbles in recruiting. And most of the kids that I busted their bubble on a little bit are the ones that we end up getting. Like, actually, hold on. Let's really look at this. This is where you are. This is what's really happened. Yeah, you had that PR race, but your average time say you're this person. So, you know, for me, the biggest problem in recruiting on all sides is the delusion factor, right? The kids are delusional. The parents are delusional. Sometimes the coaches recruiting said kids are delusional. And, you know, I think when people have an opportunity to sit down and be honest and have real conversations and, and own who they are, you typically you have, have more success in recruiting. People can, fought, can spot inauthentic, inauthentic people easily. And in today's world of social media, it's even faster to spot inauthentic, inauthentic people. So for me, I've always gotten done very well just being myself and telling people the truth, the hard truth. Well, you know, you have to be honest with people. Um, um, I, I tell my staff this, if you beg them to come, you have to beg them to stay. You know? And, I, and if I'm you lie to get them, you're going to have to lie to keep them. Lie to keep them. Exactly. So and I think at the end of the day, you know, the, the huge factors that remain here for me are, you know, one, honesty is huge, Chuck. You're absolutely right about that. You know, you're usually, not usually, you are the, the, the average of your top five times. And so you get the kid that goes to a meet and he runs, you know, I had a hurdler one year. He was a 14 flat, 13, nine guy. And boom, he ran 13, five. And I'm like, let me go watch this kid. And I went and watched him. He ran 13, four. Okay. Yeah. He, he's real. But how many times do you not go watch the kid? And then you get him on your campus and you realize, oh my God. You know, this is not nearly what I thought it was because you didn't do your homework. And that's what gets people in trouble. And I think the other big issue here is that too often coaches think they can outcoach talent. That, you know, I was blessed if I coached a kid named Gerald Clareville. And Gerald came to us, he was 49-8. And he ran 45-7. So how foolish am I if I think, if I go get every 49-8 guy, right? <laughs> right? And then guess what? I'm not going to have a job. That's what's going to happen. And, that, and so and that's the problem. People's egos get to the point where they think they can make anybody a champion. And I've said this on this show before. My mother's 85 years old. If she comes to practice every day, she's going to get faster. She ain't scoring a point. Okay? I, I can help anybody get better. But just because I can help them get better doesn't mean they can get better. To, we're in the SEC. You know? And our, our charge is to be the best team in the country every year. And I can't do that with people that don't have a certain skill set. You know, let's call it what it is.
So, so let me throw this out there to, to everybody. <clears throat> do we love or do we hate the portal? I, the portal doesn't bother me. I think the portal's a joke. I think the portal's a, it's, it's like a, it's like a magic trick, right? It, the portal is, is, is the hands, right? Every, all the kids are watching the hands, but the truth is all in what's going on behind the scenes. The NCAA gave the, the, the NCAA gave the, gave the portal to the kids instead of giving them money. Well, see, you know, I, I disagree with you, but I'm a, I would disagree as well, but go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. See, okay. what, the port, what the portal is, the portal is the lazy man's best friend. That's what it is. Because now, instead of having to sneak behind and call people's kids behind their backs, which some of that's still going on anyway, right? Now they can just sit there, go to the portal every day, see who jumps in the portal, which again speaks something we things we talked about are in people that aren't being successful, the rate they want to be, the people that aren't the number one guy or girl on the team, they're going to jump ship, and they recruit from the portal. And that's what a lot of coaches are doing. You know, you know how many people are doing that, like, right as we speak? Because of oh, this whole sure. pandemic. There's, I'm, I don't, I've never been in the portal in my life, and I'm not going in. Never, I'm not going in there. Okay? But I know my staff peeks in there on occasion. But I guarantee you, if you go in there, there's tons and tons of kids in there right now. Uh, the, my original viewpoint when they installed the transfer portal was actually quite simple, and it came from a place uh, that I went through as an athlete. When I was at UCLA, John Smith was forced out as my coach. And I was upset about it. And I'm like, well, if he's not here, I don't need to be here. And I transferred. Now, there was no portal. It was old school transfer. It was a lot harder to do. But on that premise alone, since we all have professional fluidity and have the ability to get up and leave whenever we decide to or are forced to, I think the portal is a good thing in that, in, in that sense that it, it's a fair other side of the coach's reality. Because honestly, most of these kids decide to go to school X or Y based on the relationship exactly. they foster through recruiting with said coaches. Exactly. And if that coach isn't there anymore, they probably feel like they, have, they, they should have an opportunity to move. And I'm not mad at that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mad at that. I won't disagree with you at all there, but I'll just say this. The vast majority of these kids that are in the portal, that's not why they're in the portal. They're in the portal because when the portal didn't exist, and somebody came to practice and, and, and smacked you around athletically, right? You had to get better. Now you can just leave. And that's okay, what happens okay, kids okay. do. Okay. You know, and, and yeah, you're right, you, you're right about that. There's a lot of truth to that, but there's also some truth to the fact that if you're at whatever school you're at as a coach and you decide you're unhappy there, you can get up and leave whenever you want with no punishment. If there's a kid, and I, and I don't lose very many kids, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed by that. But by the same token, if I have a kid that doesn't want to be here, they don't need to be here because they're unhappy. They're trying to make everybody else unhappy. Let them go. Like, I think the biggest joke ever is this one-time transfer. Yeah. You know? yeah. Let them go. You know, like, yeah. there's never a question for me. You don't want to be here, go. And I, and I think that, that's the unfair part of the portal, that they still have to wait to see if they're going to be released immediately. You know? Right. You know? It's like, okay, like in the real world, if somebody gets a divorce, once you're divorced, do you have to wait up? up does your ex have to tell you when you can get married again? Ooh, so thank God. Behave yourself. yourself. I did not say that for you to go crazy. Yourself. Okay? It's a very good analogy, sir. Yeah, I mean, it, look, I'm, I'm going to say this. Look, I'm, I'm a fan of the portal. I really am. 
but I but I do believe because for the for the for the reason that you came up with, Clyde, I think that is the reason, like for us to have a portal. But I I firmly believe that the NCAA loves to acquiesce to the athletes stuff that doesn't really matter, like they should have had that as a as a as a birthright if if my coach can leave i should be able to leave too like to me that that should have been done but but aren't you aren't you in some ways here like like being debbie downer because you said they should they should it should have been a birthright well they have that right now so then maybe what we should be doing is celebrate the fact that they have the right and then hoping that we get the other piece of the puzzle because we could be where we were four or five years ago where there was no portal and there was, it was, you know how it was. I don't have to tell you how it was. I mean, but so look, my thing is, this know, is like, there's, there's no perfection here, but it is a good thing that we at least took one step in, the, in that direction. Look, yeah. it, unfortunately for, for the rest of the world, the way I think is just like every other New Yorker. I have never asked for anything. I'm going to kick the door in and take what's supposed to be mine. And I've always believed that athletes should be that way if they can. If they can. Okay, like, so I just, can like, you I'm address just, the fact, okay, you're skating around what I said. Yeah, he really okay, is. Can you address really the fact that they have something now that they didn't have three years ago? Can, sure. Can you agree yes, with that? They have sure? something, yes, they have something now sure? that they didn't have before. But at the end of the day, it's like this. You should be getting a dollar, but I'm going to give you 10 cents. You no, got 10 cents more than you no, used to have. Right? No, so, you should, no, so you should be grateful. No, no, that's ridiculous. No. That's, not, that's, that's a horrible it's analogy. There's so many more avenues of discussion. That little smirk on your face tells me you know that's a horrible analogy. It's that's why not a horrible analogy. It's a horrible <laughs> analogy because you're thinking about it in terms of track. I'm going to say it like this. Your son was a basketball player at one point in time. If your son was six foot nine. And, and and a superstar basketball player, one and done type basketball player, right? And he decided to come to University of Florida, and all of a sudden they're selling MJ jerseys, and he can't get a penny of that. That's not a ridiculous analogy. Like, see, my whole thing is what like, does that have to do with the portal? Nothing at all. We're talking about. Hold on a second. We're talking about the fact. My that the initial point is was a, they gave them the portal. As opposed to addressing the real okay, issue. So first of all, okay, that's what I said to start that's, with. That, okay, that's a horrible. Okay, your analogy about MJ being six nine and being a lottery pick and going to the NBA, Florida, sell your jerseys, dog. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I, I guarantee you, Anthony Davis's parents have no problem with Kentucky selling his jersey. That four hundred yeah, million, whatever he getting. I mean. <laughs> If we're, jumping, if, jumping down the, if we're jumping down the athlete should be should or should not be paid rabbit hole, we're gonna be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Clyde, because Lamar likes to start nonsense. That was <laughs> you were wrong for that, Lamar. You okay. owe Clyde and big league an apology. I'm not gonna get one, but you need to you need to apologize. I mean, look, listen, we, we, can schedule, we can schedule the should the athletes be paid no, or not I, paid I, at I, a different I, time. I, yeah, like we can I, go I, there in the future. Yeah, I'm that's sorry that, to the illustrious panel for <laughs> you read the apologize. It was a hot button topic for me. Um, Clearly, and, and yeah, I will tell you, put that on the agenda. If <laughs> yes. there was, if this issue was alive when I was a collegiate athlete, I would have been, I would have been in the Supreme Court. I'd have been at the very front line of this. Like, yes, we need to get paid. And so, you know, someday, someday they will, Chris. They will. Right. I know it'll be my grandson. Hey goodness! I'm good with it. It'll be yeah. uh, it'll be it'll be Jackson's kid. 
There you go. <laughs> I'm good with it. That's well, fine. So, so back to the original uh, recruiting. It, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Clay. If uh, Lucius and Lamar, and I'll, I guess I'll jump in at the end of it. If you could, if we could give one piece of advice in recruiting, doesn't matter if it's to the kids, doesn't matter if it's to the parents, doesn't matter if it's to the coaches who are doing the recruiting. If you give them one thing, what would it be? You read my mind. Due diligence on in all aspects of it. You know, do your homework. If you're the athlete, do your homework. If you're the parent, do your homework. If you're the coach, do your homework. Because that's the problem. People don't understand what they're getting themselves into. You know, read the fine print. You know, if you're dealing with a school that's having issues and you see they're having issues, like what makes you think that they're going to have those same issues when you get there? You know, it's like buying a used car. You're buying somebody else's problems. It's just that simple. So when you see issues, deal with them, whether you're the coach, whether you're the athlete, whether you're the parent, address them. Like you said earlier, brutal honesty sometimes is the absolute best thing for the whole situation. You know? Because if the kid is a bit of a hot button, hot whatever, before they get to your campus, oh, they're not changing. I'm not changing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I will give uh... – Two small pieces of advice. The one to the coaches is. Well, he asked you for one. No, you know he's gonna take his liberties. He asked you for exactly. one. Is he, <laughs> no, hey, that's just, him kicking is in that the new, door. Is it that New Yorker thing again? Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Kicking in the, <laughs> the, the one to the coaches is short and sweet, and it's it's really simple. Like if you recruit the right kid and you don't get them, they'll beat you once or twice a week. I mean, once or twice a year. And if you recruit the wrong kid and you do get them, they beat you every day every single day so like don't be afraid to walk away from a kid who's really talented but you got questions if you got questions if your hair in the back of your neck is standing up they stand up for a reason walk away from them and and from the other side of that coin i would say this like back away from the picture enough to be able to see the whole thing if if you are a kid or 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 parent family who are looking at a, a, a recruiting situation and you're being highly recruited look at who that school has developed that does what your son or daughter does. And I said developed, not coached. Look, if, you, if, if the kid came in and ran, run 11-20 and they left run 11-17, did they get better? Yes. Did they get developed? No. Right? So what you want to know is if your kid is here, how many people has that particular coach or school or program taken from here to here? Whatever that here and here is. Right? Don't don't fall for the jingling keys. Pretty sweatshirts are still pretty, even when you don't run fast. Wow, the jingling keys. That's <laughs> hey, these are facts, man. Like, <laughs> oh no, the they end, are. They at are. the end of the day, the recruiting process, and look, we've all been really good at it, but the but we gotta own the bad parts. The recruiting process is more jingling keys than it is oh, yeah. reality. A- absolutely. It, it, it's it's a uh, you know the hidden card trick. Like, and I said this to recruits all the time. I'm like, I'm not ever bad mouthing another school. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I can do, but all I'm telling you to do is make sure that what they're telling you is true. Okay. If I tell you you're a 10, four guy, I can get you to 10 flat. I've done that several times. Okay. Somebody else is going to tell you, I can get you to 10 flat. And the best guy ever coaches tend to, they don't have the roadmap, you know? So to your point, you're absolutely correct. I'm glad you gave us two. Those are two very good points, Lamar. I appreciate you. you know, my, my favorite thing that my favorite thing with the jingling keys is I, I used to like to turn it on its ear. Like, 
I, I would put all of the gear we had out on a table and bring the recruits in and they get all juiced. And I would say, I brought this here and I wanted you to see it so that you know that we do get all this, but A, you're going to have to earn it all and B, none of it. And I mean, none of it is ever, ever going to make you run fast or jump high or jump far. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we got it. That don't mean you're going to be in it next year, but I just want you to know, like none of it matters. Yeah. All right, Clyde, what do you got? Well, uh, Lamar, in his, you know, infinite wisdom with his two, two one, <laughs> two one. He stole it. He stole it from me. Right, that's how it ultimately goes. You know what I mean? When you let him, when you let him ramble, that's, that's what happens. But, I, I, you know, for me, if I was going to give people one thing that he didn't already say, man, for me, it's, it's kind of, I don't even know how to, how I ultimately really want to say this, it, it, it boils down to don't lie. <laughs> and, I, and I mean that across the board because as, as collegiate coaches, we get inundated with lies all the time in your email, on your, on your phone. You know, you get inundated with lies. And there's a lot of coaches that feel like they have to lie their way into a situation. It, it's, it's like meeting, it's like meeting you know, someone in the world that you, that you ultimately want to date, right? Like, you're not going to get over by lying. And if you do, the foundation that you built is going to blow up in your face really, really fast. So I don't understand the notion of coaches, parents, athletes trying to present situations that aren't real to, to get their foot in the door, to get their, ahead of I, I just don't understand that. But, so but, me, but, but Clyde, you do understand it. No, I don't. No, 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 but let me tell you why you understand it, okay? Because maybe you don't agree with it, but you understand it. Where do you coach? I coach at UC well, Berkeley. Okay, at one of the most prestigious universities on this planet. Yes. And there are people that will beg, borrow, steal, cheat to get into Berkeley. Okay? Sure. Because, because the Berkeley degree is that important to them. Sure, right? but it's 2020 and we have Google and, okay, you know, okay. iPhones and... But the bottom line is that you can have all the information. That's not stop people from lying. I hear you. Because, because if they think that this little lie that they tell you is going to help them get to Berkeley, going to help them get to Florida, get to any other school out there, they're going to tell the lie. Because right. the end result is they, they want to be at this institution. Now, I tell people all the time, don't sit in this recruiting meeting and tell me you want to be an Olympian. Every one of them. You don't, don't sit in here and tell me you want to be, I want to be the school record holder at Florida. Well, you don't even know what the school record is, right? You don't know the work that's required to get to the school record. So when I asked you what your career goals are, before you ask, ask, answer me, think about it, and then be honest with me and be honest with yourself. If your goal is just to come to Florida and help be a part of the, the a cog in the wheel, I'm cool with that, Okay. But you can't tell me I want to be the superstar on the team and then don't want to work in practice, you know, because everybody has a role. But I mean, I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to, I tell everybody, all I want you to do is, is do what you promised me you would do. Right? So with, 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 when you sign that paper, we have a promise. We have a bond. I'm going to uphold him. I'm into the promise. I need you to uphold, uphold yours. I just, authenticity wins for me. You know what I mean? I, the, the people that I choose to spend my personal time around, the people that I choose to work for, the people that I want working around me, authenticity wins. Man, listen, I had, when I was running, when I was a head coach years ago, 
I had a kid, I swear to you, email me from three for three months. He had doctored the results of the Jamaica Invitational to try to tell me <laughs> that he was a 10-5 sprinter. Now I'm like, bro, it was on TV. I got the race on TV. Like these are the lengths that people go to. And so, you know, I, I just I've always gotten everywhere by being authentic. And so for me, authenticity wins with people. And, and the parents will appreciate coaches, you know, who tell the truth, tell the truth right. to them. Sit down and talk to them. Be real. Yeah. Like and like and like we said earlier, nobody bats a thousand. No. But but no. if you're you know, if you've got a, a high batting average, you know, you can always walk in and go, look, I can't guarantee you this is gonna happen, but there's a high probability that it will. And that's authentic. You know, that's that's right. all, I can't guarantee you that your son's gonna run 44 seconds, but I can guarantee you I'm gonna bust my butt every day to help him get there. Mm-hmm. And if I do my job and he does his job, there's a really good chance it's gonna happen. That's you right. Know, and, that, and that's being authentic. What's, yeah. what's funny about that authenticity piece is like one of the things that, that, that I did through most of my career was I made sure that we, and, and in the fall, it's pretty much, it's easy to do, but I made sure that, that we were doing a workout that showed some level of toughness and kind of what we do on Fridays when we brought recruits in, because I didn't want them to ever think like we didn't work hard. Like, I want you to understand, like, I'm not going to lie about this. You know, I'm not going to do you like Frankie Fredericks when they, BYU told them it, it didn't get cold there. <laughs> right because he wasn't he never came before he, he showed up on campus in august it was hot right uh, and then came around uh, in the mountains he was like what is this you know like yeah so i'm not gonna lie to you when you come and you see like we get broke off in hills on friday like in the fall like yeah this is what we're about and then you yeah. go see the weight room and you see you know like you get up on Friday, you know, you, if you come in on Thursday and I come get you from the, from the, from the hotel at 6.30 in the morning to take you to see what we do at weights and what time we do it, like, why do I'm I do that? I'm not coming to your school. Not that's coming. okay. <laughs> that's okay. You know, like, I, I'm, hey, I'm you just lost me, bro. I know, but I'm a fan of all I'm of that because I want you to see what it is that you, you say you want to come here because you well, saw see, results. Then, you like, and I you know, talked I about this. What it takes to get there? You and I've talked about this, Lamar. You know, we don't put on airs here. You know, like I'm telling, I'm not taking you to some big fancy restaurant buying you this big steak because it costs forty bucks and all that stuff. Because I'm not doing it when you get here. So we're gonna be who we are. We're gonna we're gonna you're gonna be around us. We're gonna show you we're a family, and we're gonna be who we are. You know, we you know we get after it on Fridays, and you'll see us get after it on Fridays. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna be who we are, and then that way you can decide if this is something you want to be, but if you divert them from the tough stuff and then they get here and it's tough, you lie to them. Yeah. You lie to them. All right. Well, let's be authentic. Do your homework. <laughs> <laughs> and then the two nuggets of just don't suck. Just okay. So, okay. So, okay. Sweet water. What's it, What's behind this? What's that about? You know what? It came to me. It sounded good. It would probably be something different next week. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I might get it legally changed to. So uh, now, like we at least we know what to expect every week. <laughs> we got we got Clyde dressed to impress, and we got you with a different nickname, different my, name every week. And I'm my, just gonna be my, Lucius. I'm just gonna do me, man. My name is Lamar. You know. And, oh, here we go. Here we my go. job is to be volatile <laughs> and represent oh my, my people. 
know, <laughs> next week there'll be somebody else who get representation because I show love to those who showed love to me. But you know, we gotta wow. do what we gotta do. I can't be the pretty guy. I don't have that skill set. No, and hey, clearly I can't, <laughs> that I can't job's be been taken. I can't be the Godfather because I didn't win like seven, seven hundred and forty-five national championships. So many, so that that we don't even like ha we don't even talk about the runner-ups because like that's a small fish, right? <laughs> you know, Lucius throws back sharks at this point. <laughs> oh really? Oh goodness! <laughs> All right. Wow. The rest of us is still trying to catch one tuna. You know, he's like, hey, man, that's a dolphin. Throw that back. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, without further ado, we will table whatever happens next week and we'll put a pin in it to see what happens with this, this last name ordeal that goes on. Um, thank you, gentlemen, very much. Very insightful. Great conversation with our guest as well. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. And without anything else being said, we'll see you next week. Have a great week, folks. Good evening. Don't call it a comeback. Well, guys, that's it for today. Certainly hope you received as much value from this episode as we did making it. Uh, if you've made it this far, really appreciate you joining us. Your time and attention are super valuable, and we certainly don't take that lightly. Uh, and we also don't take lightly your feedback. Would you consider leaving us a rating or a comment in the app that you are using right now to listen to this episode? That would be really valuable for us. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, Want to know when future episodes of the podcast are available? The best way is to subscribe to the podcast in this exact same app. Right now, go hit that subscribe button. In the meantime, if this episode of the Galathetics Connections podcast provided you with value, would you consider giving that value to others in your network, sharing this episode and other episodes on your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, smoke signals, whatever way you would like to do it. We'd really appreciate you sharing with your network and spreading the value. That's it. Really appreciate you. Can't wait to join you next time for another episode of the Gill Athletics Connections podcast.